opening comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Immediately before today's story, Jesus tells the disciples that he will be betrayed and arrested, that he will suffer, that he will die, and that after three days, he will rise again. Mark tells us that the disciples did not understand. I imagine that they couldn't understand how this human teacher could be resurrected. I imagine that they couldn't understand how God's Messiah could be killed by other humans. Mark then tells us that the disciples were afraid to ask any more questions. Maybe because they were afraid they'd become more confused. Or maybe it was because they weren't confused at all about what Jesus said. Because they knew exactly what Jesus was trying to tell them about His life and about their lives, and they were afraid of what that would be. Whatever they didn't understand, the disciples understood enough to be embarrassed when Jesus called them out. When Jesus caught them arguing about who would be the greatest. When He called them out, they suddenly realized that their dreams of personal glory were antithetical to Jesus' call to deny themselves and to take up their crosses. You and I may not ever consciously think or say to each other, I am the greatest. But Jesus catches us arguing about that all the time. This is what we argue when we don't listen well, when we insist that we're right and that others are wrong, when we demand someone else's attention without giving them our own. When we use and manipulate other people in small and large ways to achieve our own plans and dreams and goals. When we do everything we can to make sure our comfort is preserved, our opinion is honored, our preference is followed, without thinking about that, how that affects other people. This argument about who's the greatest simmers beneath every family dysfunction. Every fight about politics that goes far, low, goes far lower than any policy, but that goes to the personal. Every grudge that we can't get over. Every relationship that could be reconciled, but isn't. 
virtually everything that divides us as a people. But my friends, the good news is that there is another way. That there is a Jesus way. In verse 36, Jesus says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. With these words, Jesus grabs our shoulders and shakes us and pushes us in a completely different direction. From looking inward at ourselves and upward to the heights we can climb to outward toward others and downward to the depths of His humble love. Jesus' words push us into action. It's no wonder that when people go on mission trips like world changers, they come home fired up for Jesus. Because when you wake up early on a deflated air mattress on a hard school floor and carry shingles up a ladder still yawning and sweat all day on a roof, you might complain on that first day, but usually by the end of the week, you find a surprising happiness and contentment in the suffering that you are doing to help other people. And then without even thinking about it, you find yourself cleaning up other people's messes and steadying other people's ladders and holding the spigot on the water cooler so that everyone else can get water before you do. You find yourself putting yourself last or at least second or third or fourth, and it actually feels good. And do you know why? Because we were created in the image of a God of self-giving love. Because when we do these things, we realize that we are finally doing what we were made for. We realize that we feel closer to becoming like Jesus in this kind of self-giving service than we do doing anything else. Because it is there that we find Jesus serving right beside us. It's there that we realize that we're really just joining Him in the work that He's been up to all along. It's easy to do this on mission trips where we are explicit about we're doing this in Jesus' name and we wake up every morning on the work site and say a prayer for Jesus to be a part of our work and end every night in worship and then reflect on the things we saw God doing that day. But if we are looking for Him, we can find Jesus serving right beside us in our everyday choices to serve others. When we get on on the floor to show empathy to our kicking and screaming child that we would rather be angry at. When we walk into school in the morning, exhausted and overwhelmed, but we tell ourselves again and again, I am doing this for my students. When we sleep or we don't sleep in the recliner in our grandmother's assisted living apartment to keep her comfortable overnight. When we fulfill our marriage vows in sickness and in health, all the way to the end, when our spouse is declining mentally or physically, rapidly or slowly, or both. When we help someone from the opposing team when they fall, or we go over that math homework that we thought was easy, but our friend is just not getting. When we pick up the phone to call someone who might be just as lonely as we are because we know that we would like to receive that phone call. When we do all of those things, we find Jesus serving there too. And these everyday acts of service can change us. 
Because Jesus knows that we won't stop worrying about our own greatness, our own glory, until we experience the glory of God that can only be seen when we roll up our sleeves and serve someone else in His name. This is not an intellectual thing. We talk a lot about beliefs and ideas in church, but this is one of those things you have to learn by doing. We know that this is what Jesus calls us to do. We know it and doing it are two different things. Our culture of success and achievement and the pursuit of personal greatness has such a hold on us that the only way we can break it is to be intentional about practicing this kind of Jesus alternative wisdom. Choosing to do things over and over again in real life that maybe no one else sees that make us more like Jesus. But there's more going on in this Scripture. We pause there, but Jesus goes on. He takes a child into His arms and He says, whoever welcomes one such child in My name welcomes Me. And whoever welcomes Me doesn't just welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. In our day and time, children are prized and pampered. We do everything in our power to make them feel special and to make sure that their needs are met. We change our entire lives and our entire schedules. And at this church, we, we try to do everything we can to help children and families. But that wasn't the case when Mark was walking with Jesus. Children in that time and in that culture, and it's hard to say this, were essentially considered non-persons. They were supposed to stay behind the scenes with the women who would be unseen and unheard by the men, especially when there was a prominent guest like Jesus in the living room. It would have been an embarrassing sign of disrespect for a children to barge in on this important meeting of the, the teacher and his disciples. But that's not how Jesus felt. Jesus exalted the one who had the least status in his midst. And what he says is mind-blowing if you think about it carefully. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Not only do we find Jesus serving with us when we serve others, but we find Jesus Himself in the people we serve. We welcome Jesus Himself when we welcome the unseen, the unheard, the unwelcome, the non-persons in our midst. This is, of course, also what Jesus says in Matthew 25, that when we feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, take care of the sick, or visit the imprisoned, we are actually doing those things for Jesus. For most of my life, when I've gone on mission trips or done something to serve someone else, I thought I was bringing the presence and the message and the love of Christ to someone who needed it. And that was absolutely true. But when we hear these words from Jesus and think about what they really mean, it wasn't the whole truth. If we are to take Jesus' words seriously, if I am to take Jesus' words seriously, I have to realize that I met Jesus Himself in those homeowners whose roofs we were redoing. And all of those children who used me as a human jungle gym at the Boys and Girls Club in Greensboro, they were Jesus too. Jesus too. 
And the abuela whose table I shared in Mexico City, she was Jesus too. And the hungry people who I broke bread with in Fort Worth, they were Jesus. And it means that even with all of my knowledge and hard work and the material ways I could help these people in the name of Christ, they had just as much to offer back to me because Christ had blessed them to be a blessing to me too. This realization changes everything if we let it. If I really and truly believe I serve Jesus when I serve someone else, then I can no longer see myself as the giver and them as the receiver. Because we're all receiving something from God. I have to realize that this person made in the image of God in whom Christ dwells has just as much to give me even if I'm the one being asked for money. Two weeks ago, a man approached me as I was filling up my car with gas and asked me if I could give him something to eat. But I brushed him off because I knew that even if I took that three minutes that it would take for me to get in, go into the convenience store, that I would be late for my appointment and they could not see me that day. And then last Sunday, on the way home from church, as I drove through the neighborhood with my windows down, a man approached and tried to flag me down to ask for help, I assume. But I just kept on going. There were good and noble arguments to justify myself in both circumstances. If I didn't get home, I would have missed lunch with Judah and I wouldn't have been able to help Jenny get him ready for the soccer game. There are good reasons for, for me not stopping, but except that I still see the faces of these two men and I know that they were the faces of Jesus. One time, my friend Heath and I were walking on Franklin Street and we were approached by several panhandlers that night. But instead of ignoring them as I did, because you just get used to doing that in Chapel Hill, he looked at each one of them and said, sorry, I can't help you tonight. I'll never forget that because when we talked about it, he said, even if I can't give them what they want, even if I can't give them what they might actually need, I want to honor their humanity. And I would add that Heath was honoring their divinity too. He was telling them by actually talking to them and taking the time to acknowledge them and speak to them that he wasn't greater or more important than they were. And though Heath does not believe in God, I think he was worshiping the Christ. I think he was receiving the blessing of Christ who was in front of him in rags just the same. What has pained me over these last two weeks as I think about the men I didn't help is not just the guilt I have in not helping them materially, but this nagging feeling that I missed out on the blessing of being with Jesus. It's the realization that the arguments that I made for why me and my needs were more important than theirs made me miss the glory of God that was shining in that person right in front of me. And so this morning I ask, in whom, is Jesus, whom, in whom is Jesus standing in front of you asking for help? In whom is Jesus standing in front of you asking for welcome in your everyday, ordinary, daily life?
Or maybe I should ask, in whom is Jesus reaching out a hand to help you? In your neighborhood, in your family, at this church, in your school, in your home. If we want to see the greatness of God, we have to let go of our need to be great. We have to put ourselves last. We have to serve others. We have to receive the Jesus that comes to us in what Mother Teresa calls His most distressing disguises. This makes absolutely no sense in the wisdom of our world, but it is the way and the truth and the life of Jesus. It is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. May it be so with us.